Wall Street veteran Bernard Madoff has been arrested and charged with running a $50 billion Ponzi scheme. Congress wants to know what caused the Enron meltdown. Now, well, the collective rage currently is focused on Wilcom. Tyco CEO Dennis Kozlowski was convicted of looting hundreds of millions of dollars. This is one of the biggest fraud cases ever. Their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. Find out more on this week's episode of White Collars, Red Hands. Can people truly change? No. <laughs> that was so quick. Uh, if you found out your best friend of years used to kick puppies when they were younger, could you ever bring yourself to forgive them their past transgressions and see them as a reformed member of society? Today, we ask a similar question of Michael Milken, dubbed the Junk Bond King, the capitalist monarch making the most money of anyone in the United States on the cocaine-powered Wall Street of the 1980s. Michael Milken fell from grace and wound up behind bars, but many today see Michael as a changed man, a dedicated philanthropist. Does he deserve this second chance? Did he earn it, or did he buy his rebuilt reputation? Find out on this week's episode of White Collars, Red Hands. Hmm. He just has shifty eyes. I don't trust him. He's got shifty eyes and a big, big mouth of horse teeth. And a big-ass forehead. Looks like he's a second away from neighing. Uh, Believe it or not. (laughs) So I didn't put this in here, but in one of the interviews that I listened to, which, by the way, I listened to a one-hour-long C-SPAN interview, which felt like hell. I would not have done that. Oh, I listened. This is why Kashad is a better researcher than me. Ooh, I listened to the whole thing. I would have made it two minutes, and I would have been like, "Nah, we don't need that info." It was rough, but he he spent about three minutes of this interview talking about his hairpiece, like he was bald, and that he used to like. And he's like, "Yeah, you could tell when he was younger, his hairpiece was like not that good, and now he wears a baseball cap in prison." Uh, and I was like, we're literally, we're literally just roasting this man for being bald and out of all of his financial crimes. Um, I went on a couple dates with this one guy who had a hairpiece. I did not know for a while. Yeah, I don't think they tell you immediately. And then he was like, oh, yeah, I have a hairpiece. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he was like, look, I have a hairpiece. And they showed me pictures of his bigger forehead. And I was like, you're right. You do have a hairpiece. He's like, I spend $60 a week to go get this trimmed up. And I was like, that's a lot of money. But you do you, bro. And you that get, was not. You get your nails done, right? Not often. Yeah, but you have before, right? I have before. You know what? You're hair right. Pe- I think it's the. I think it's the same thing. I think that we should just embrace. If you're going bald, piece, you just embrace it. I think the hair piece. If I was a t- male in my late twenties, I think that's more important than me getting my nails done. Yeah, yeah. It's for like a, it's sure. like a it's like a push up bra for a sixteen year old who hasn't gotten hasn't gotten them yet. You know, <laughs> she may never get them. I don't. Yeah, if you're 16 and they're not there, that's not necessarily true. Unless you get pregnant. No, you can have a weight gain. That happened to me. Okay, but that's you know everything gets bigger. You know, so it doesn't yeah, like. That's true. I don't. I don't think it necessarily counts. This is a weird I way to how start. Big my <laughs> boobs were when I was 16. I don't think they were as they were as big as they are now. All right, guys. So the rest of this episode, we're going to call Nina's high school uh, high school students that she went to that Here, she went I'll to class her classmates friend. and be like, "Hey, how big were Nina's titties?" Um, this this is text. recorded. Well, you know what's Enjoy. Not, this isn't fair because when I was sixteen, I only wore giant hoodies because I thought I was fat and I didn't want everybody to see how fat I was. Nice. 
Um, I have an update, though, about last week's episode. Great. If you listened to last week's episode, you know that we talked about the Tinder swindler, Simon Levive. He is now being sued by Lev Levive, who is the diamond tycoon of Israel because he took his name and posed to be his son. The one who actually had the diamonds. The one who actually had the diamonds. The fake diamondier. You could call him the cubic zirconium. The princess uh, cut. That's just what you kept saying last week. <laughs> I said it twice. Okay, twice. All right. But let's get on to today's subject. Yes. Michael Milken. Uh, so Michael. Big Mil- mommy milkers. He's he's milking it for sure. Milk, milk, milk. Uh, <laughs> I hate milk. Got milk? Nope, I don't because I fucking hate it. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> All right. You sure? There's not more? Nope. To that, that incredible run-on sentence? Nope. Uh, Michael Milken was born on America's birthday, July 4th, 1946, uh, to middle class to a middle-class Jewish family in Encino, California, known for its housing of frozen cavemen in teenagers' backyards. What? Yeah, so you've never seen Encino Man. I figured you hadn't, but nevertheless, it was a, it was a movie from the... 90s, I believe, where two teenagers find a caveman frozen in their backyard in Encino, California. It's called Encino Man. I think Polly Shore was in it. My friend says, I don't think they were that big. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't remember, I would have remembered. Great. I'm glad we finally got the All answer. Right, so my boobs were not this big. When to I was the 16. pressing question. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Back to Michael Milken. Uh, so Michael Milken attended Birmingham High School where he was, believe it or not, uh, the head cheerleader. Yeah, he is. Tossing those girls in the air, catching them, just spinning them on his finger. Like a a basketball? Like a Michael Jordan with a basketball? Toss them up. Hopefully they don't have any panties on. Finger. (laughs) That's foul, Nina. I think I'm the only one who thinks it's this funny. Well, yeah, seeing as how I'm not laughing. Ah, this is why my comedy career is failing. We, I have we, makeup we, on, and I'm crying. We got All there. Right. Stop crying. Stop. Just, Especially as you're crying, laughing at your own jokes, please. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so embarrassing. Anyway, he unfortunately he did not continue his cheerleading career uh, as he went on to graduate from UC Berkeley and eventually receive his MBA from the Warden School at the University of Pennsylvania, which is a very well-known business school. Is it? Uh, yeah. I didn't know about it. Warden? Yeah. How many business schools you know, Nina? Um, The Kellogg School of Business. Wait, Kellogg? The guy who tried to make cornflakes to keep kids from masturbating? That Kellogg? No. Well, maybe. I don't know. It's at Northwestern University in Evanston. It's called the Kellogg School of Business. I only know because a guy I had a crush on went there. Well, I'm going to assume that it was that, and uh, I think it's uh, that's the funniest. Uh, in 1969, after completing his graduate degree, Milken landed a job at the company he would stay with, stay at for his entire tenure, Drexel. Uh, he was a director of low-grade bond research, uh, and they also provided him with the capital or they provided him with capital, and he was allowed to do some trading, which proved incredibly lucrative for Drexel, as over the next 17 years, Milken would only have four down months, which is a ludicrous rate. So out of whatever 17 times 12 is, only four of those did he end up net losing money that month. What was his job? He, I don't get it. 
Okay, so this this is a hard episode. Yeah, there's a lot of technical stuff in this. I'm going to try and get through it as much as possible. Um, but even I don't really understand this to the point. So we're going to try and convey it to you in the best terms possible. But but stick with us. So he was the director of low grade bond research, which we're actually going to get into what a low grade bond is. Okay, and basically he just deals with low grade bonds. Um, and that's actually the next thing. It was in this time that Milken would discover the thing that would make him famous, the junk bond, also known as the low-grade bond. So uh, a quick overview. A bond is a form of securitized debt released by companies. You give money to a company, and they agree to pay it back in a certain amount of time, and along the way, they kick you back some interest. Okay. So that's a bond. Um, the amount of interest is that, this like government bonds. So government bonds are just bonds released by the government. So so a bond says, okay, like you give me a thousand dollars, I'm going to pay you this thousand dollars back in ten years, but every year I'll pay you one percent interest on it. Okay. So every year I pay you, uh, what's one per ten dollars? That doesn't seem like a good. But it's low risk, and you you make the money. All right. So it's basically sure. it's basically a very low risk, long term investment. So if you invest a very sizable amount of money, you know that over the next ten years you're going to get like a one percent like return on that, and that's it. Um, that being said, the amount of interest they pay back to you is usually dependent on how likely the company is to stick around long enough to pay you the money back. And this is determined by credit rating. So what these um, low-grade bonds were, were bonds from companies that had a low credit rating. So governments have, like, the highest credit rating. They're obviously going to pay it back. So, therefore, the interest that they tr- that they give back to you is very small because you're going to get it. Whereas from lower credit rating companies, mm-hmm. um, the odds that they default on the loan or that, like, the company closes before they can give you the money back is higher so they pay you a higher interest rate. So instead of like 1%, they might pay like 7 to 8%. Okay. Which is a pretty good return well, at this Well, 7 point. or 8% is a lot. Yeah. At the time on Wall Street, though, the only bonds that people were dealing with uh, were known as investment-grade bonds. And these are bonds issued by parties with the highest available credit ratings. So like governments, like blue-chip stocks. Like if you took a bond from Apple— you're like, well, Apple's probably going to still be around. They're probably still going to pay me back. They're worth a lot of money. They have a lot of money. So they can sell the bonds at a lower interest rate that they have to pay back to you because they're more likely to pay it in the first place. And Wall Street was only dealing with those kinds of bonds. Uh, there are a lot of small companies with worse credit ratings, however, that might also want access to this money that a bond issuance would give them. You know, they can't, they maybe can't get money from banks and loans because they have a poor credit rating. They can't, ah. they can't get money from venture capitalists because they're seen as like, like a bad investment at the time. They have a low credit rating, but they still want money to be able to do things. Mm-hmm. So a bond issuance would give them that money. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. This is what Michael Milken realized is that these companies want the money and at some point these companies the risk might not outweigh the reward of the the higher yield that you would get from the bond like the more interest that you would get from the bond back because these companies might be big entities that just fell in some hard times these are known as fallen angels or they were companies that were too new or in too new of a business sector like biotech in the 1980s which now is one of the most 
booming sectors in business, but in the 1980s was relatively new. Mm-hmm. So because they were so, it was such a new um, business, their credit rating was lower. Right. And they hadn't been able to get those good reputations. And these were called the rising stars. A Cracker Barrel, when you first start training, you're called a rising star. That's some stupid corporate bullshit. You just give me my biscuits. Yep. <laughs> rising fucking star. Yep. So and on your apron, it says rising star. And then um, when you pass, you get one star and then you can go up to four and a maroon apron. <laughs> Y'all are still going to be giving me my apple butter, no matter how many stars are on your apron. All right. Apple butter jeans. Did you know that when I worked at Cracker Barrel, I gave one of the cheetah girls who a girl who was on the in the cheetah girls, the one who was dating Rob Kardashian. I gave her apple butter one time. I, I don't know who that is. And oh. that means nothing to me. All right. Fine. Was it Raven Simone? No. Then I don't care. It was the girl. I don't know any of the other Cheetah Girls Adriana, names. Adriana. 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 You could say anything to me. It would literally mean zero. All right. Well, nothing. It I means did, nothing though. to me, Nina. Okay, fine. I also <laughs> poured Josh Turner's coffee. Who's... Uh, was, isn't he a country singer? Yes, he was. He's, he's the baby lock the door and turn the... Oh, my God. I that, would like, have sex with him at Cracker Barrel in front of his wife. That's how much I love him. All right, Josh Turner, if you're if you're listening, you know. I will have sex with you. Yeah, maybe you got. I will put apple butter on your dick and lick it off. Everybody. I know you guys can't tell this at home, but I am staring daggers at Nina right now. I'm on one today. I haven't been this bad in a while. You get like one comment like that. You, you had three today and <laughs> we're less than 20 minutes into this episode. All right. Yeah. Sorry. Let's turn it. Let's let's. You're at eleven. <laughs> let's let's get it to like an eight. <laughs> All right, but okay. This is what's not fair. I had a day off today, and I barely got to talk to anybody. So it's like right now, it's just all erupting. <laughs> Nine is like your dog when you come home from work. I am. I'm like it's so excited. People, 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 ready to say things. <laughs> I, can, I can talk. I can talk. I can talk. Oh my god. Uh, so Milken realized that, uh, like I said, the risk associated with these bonds from these companies uh, didn't always outweigh the reward. And he found that you could value these companies if you just did some like analytical research into their finances. Some of them were really undervalued so that if they issued a bond and you bought the bond, you would make a lot of money because they're definitely going to pay it back because financially they're healthy. Just credit like credit companies aren't rating them correctly. Milken basically created the entire junk bond trading like market so no one was trading in these areas because these companies weren't weren't issuing bonds because they thought no one would buy them because they have a bad credit rating so there was little supply for these bonds and milken looked to get a stranglehold on the market before it was even born and he asked fellow warden alum the unfortunately named tubby burnham uh at drexel to allow him to start a high yield bond trading department which tubby gave the green light to is that his real name yeah tubby he was named that i i don't know man he was probably born in like the 40s so it's just a different time you can name your kids tubby i don't know hey tubby come over here yeah this he sounds like he he barely talks like this but hey michael hey michael is he fat i don't know i didn't look him up you got those his name's tubby though like we can probably assume uh you got those papers? Can you put them on my desk? Can you get me a sub? So he allows Michael Milken to create this high yield department where he would then get companies, these companies that he thought could gain a lot of money from 
issuing a bond and people could make a lot of money off of buying the bonds, he would get them to release the bonds under like underwritten by Drexel. So an underwriter basically is like a middleman in bonds. He buys a security or they buy a security from a company and then sell it to investors. Ah, this is different than an undertaker. Yes, that's a professional wrestler. Uh, no. The underwriter would be a terrible Isn't professional wrestler. the undertaker wrestler. somebody who deals with dead bodies? Yes. Okay. That's why his name is that in the WWE. It's just a joke. Oh, okay. Shut <laughs> uh, down. So he uh, would underwrite these, and underwriters get a commission on each one of the, the bonds they sell to. So he's getting the companies to create the bonds, and then... Buying the bonds, probably investing in the company, and then also selling them to other people and making money on that too as the underwriter. Mm. And this worked out really well for him because Michael went on to earn a hundred percent. He doubled his money, a hundred percent return on investment. And by the end of 1976, when Milken moved the high yield bond department to LA, he was making an estimated salary of five million dollars a year in Wait, 1976. How was he getting a hundred percent ROI? Because that's how much money he was, like, like by them buying these bonds. Yeah. He was making that much for the firm and by selling them mm. as the underwriter. So he was making dual money. So you ah. don't really have to invest anything to be the underwriter on bonds. You, well, you have to buy them and then sell them, but you're making the money back on selling them. So basically, as long as you can sell them, as long as there is a market for these bonds that you've bought as the underwriter, you're going to make a shit ton of money. Damn. And no one was investing in this. And it started booming because he was only getting companies that were actually financially stable to make these bond issuances. The market exploded. And they were the only ones selling them, basically. So he cornered the market. He got a bunch of money. Good for him. Uh, also, I just wanted to put this story in. Um, it was said that he was so tenacious at making his trades in the bond industry that one day, it was it was his birthday, which also happened to be the 4th of July, I just realized. So on the 4th of July in the office, they decided, what are we going to get Michael for his birthday? You know what? Let's get him a stripper because this is Wall Street in the 1980s and everyone's doing coke off their desks. So they bring in a stripper and I guess his phone rang while the stripper was dancing and she's like naked at this point. He answered the phone. It was someone trying to, trying to do a trade and... He was getting distracted by the stripper, so he climbed under his desk with his phone, still talking to the person, and then she followed him under the desk, and he was still able to execute the trade. With a boner. We don't know that for sure, but most likely. Well, she was hot. Most likely, ex she had extremely torqued. I wonder if she had some star-spangled nipple tassels. She, she was a rising star. It said so uh, on her apron. It was a Cracker Barrel-themed stripper. Joke's on you. Uh, another important thing to know is how these junk bonds led to the ability for mergers and acquisitions, which were a big part of the 1980s corporate structure. There were a lot of mergers, a lot of acquisitions going on in the 80s. Um, the creation of the junk bond industry allowed for multiple leveraged buyouts now uh, this is an acquisition maneuver where one company or an entity purchases another using mostly borrowed money so they it's they're not using their own money to buy this company they're using a bunch of debt to buy this company hence the what? leverage part of the leverage buyout imagine i want to buy an apple but i don't have the money to buy the apple so i buy the apple and i i ask you for like a hundred dollars to buy the apple it's a hundred dollar apple i don't know why Okay, so I give you $100 for the apple. I buy the apple. And you eat it? I have the apple. 
Oh, you just have it. And then I use the Apple as collateral on my loan. Okay. <laughs> I think that's a straightforward metaphor, Nina. <laughs> okay. I'm buying an Apple. I give you the money for the I Apple. I don't have the money for the Apple. You give me the I money for the Apple. And I secure that by saying, hey, how I'm going to... How I'm going to say I can pay back this loan for you is because I'm about to have an apple. <laughs> Yoink. And I actually don't get anything? I pay you the money back. Oh, okay. Using the apple. And if I can't pay you the money back, you get the apple. Okay. So, <laughs> kind of works out for you. Works for me. I'm hungry. <laughs> uh, so, in these acquisitions, like I said, the bonds are attained using capital from the business they are buying as collateral. So they, they're like, hey, I'm going to have this business soon, so that's why you should give me the loan. Um, funnily enough, though, the business they are trying to acquire usually doesn't sanction the takeover. They don't want to be bought, uh, meaning this process has gained a reputation as predatory and ruthlessly hostile. It's a, it's a hostile takeover, but you just like you borrow all the money to basically steal a company from somebody. Is this like when Hitler invaded Poland? But it's just companies. Um. <laughs> well, it's a hostile takeover. I like. I. I mean, yeah. I like my apple metaphor better than your Nazi metaphor, though. I'm just trying to understand. Um, these bonds that are issued because the 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 debt that you usually get is issued as bonds. So okay. So you issue a bond to get the money to buy the company okay. from a bank or whatever. Um, they're considered junk bonds because the company obviously doesn't have enough capital to just buy the company without the leverage and usually come with something like a 90% to 10% debt to equity ratio, which means that um, your this company has like this buyout now after they buy them out, all the debt goes on the new company's books. So it looks like they have like 90% debt to their 10% equity, like their 10% that- things that they have. Now, I'm no mathematician, but that doesn't sound good. It's not good. It doesn't sound good to me at all. So they're junk bonds when they release because obviously their credit rating isn't going to be that good at that that debt to equity ratio. When that means that this perfectly fell into Michael Milken's sphere of influence. Uh, It got to the point where companies were getting taken over in this way without even actually issuing the bonds yet. So they didn't even like get their debt consideration to where it was supposed to be yet because um, many of these so-called corporate raiders, which were these people who were basically just going around and buying companies this way and stealing companies from people uh, would complete the takeover of the business armed with uh, something created by Drexler called a highly confident letter, which was a document of no legal significance that Drexel and Milken made up that told banks it was highly confident it could raise the capital for the leverage buyout that the Raider was attempting. So they didn't even have the bonds yet. They just said like, oh no, we can do it. Like we can get the money. Oh, This letter says so. And because Milken's reputation for making a market for any bond that Drexel underwrote, they they were like, yep, we believe you. Jesus Christ. So, so he was, they were securing these loans based on bonds that weren't made yet under the idea that they would be sold to buyers that didn't exist yet. I hate it all. But just because they were like, yeah, Milken knows what he's doing. This letter works. We'll give you the, we'll give you the money. Go ahead and get that company. Yeah, go do it, Michael. Um, using these tactics, 
Michael Milken became insanely wealthy. Instead of making an average of five million a year, he was was making two hundred to five hundred million dollars a year in the eighties, the highest annual compensation at the time. And the junk bond market had grown to a hundred and fifty billion dollar market. It is highly believed. That Milken could have continued to make incredible amounts of money without ever turning to illegal practices. So then why did he turn to shadiness? Why not keep raking in literal billions of dollars in a semi-legitimate way? Because that's no fun! And you'll find out that at the end of this, the actual crimes he committed were like a pittance of the money he made. Like, on the final charges... Like, when Martha Stewart, like, sold all of her shit when, like, she wasn't even going to lose that much money. Exactly. <laughs> so Dumbass. So, it's kind of weird. It's like, like, I think the final charges he plead guilty to only constituted a lot, like, a gain of, like, $350,000 for him. What? Yeah. He and, made that in, like, a month. Yeah, which... He made way more than that in a month. I mean, he's making, like, he's making, like, $10 million in a month. Could you imagine making that much money in a day, Kashan? No, it's disgusting. Oh, my God. I would be so much happier if I made that much money. I don't think I would. That's gross. I fucking would. I'd be so happy. It's, I, it's, it's like, like here's the thing. That's a, that is a disgusting amount of wealth that I don't think, personally, anyone should ever be able to attain. No, but it'd be cool if I had it. <laughs> See, that's you're going to get in trouble because that's what people think. You're like, yeah, but if it was me. But no, you shouldn't. Billionaires no, shouldn't exist. I agree with you. No, I do agree. You with know, you. I just they shouldn't like- you shouldn't be able to make this amount of money in a day. There's no one that works hard enough to make that money. Now, let, let's get into the stuff that he did, though. Or at least we know that he did. His crimes were very. This is actually the hardest part of this whole Episode. We're not at the hard part. No, the hardest part about this whole episode oh is his crimes and discovering his crimes. He basically only committed crimes that could be very well covered up and that were very hard to figure out in the first place. It took years to get this conviction because it wasn't as cut and dry as like, oh, yeah, you were doing this. You were manipulating this. It's very obvious. It's not. This is the hardest part for me to understand. Um, So... Let's get into it. Uh, mergers have a way of making a company's stock price increase because when two companies come together, they join into one stock. So they usually both rise before they go there. Um, and if you knew a merger was about to happen before everyone else, you could make a lot of money if you just bought the security before the price increased and then sold it once it increased. Now, since junk bonds are used in these leverage buyouts, many people involved in the deals could tell their friends about a possible merger. And those friends could buy the stock before that became public knowledge and reap the reward. That doesn't seem legal. The only problem with this is that it is oh. insider trading and is insanely illegal. All right, I understood that. Uh, just ask Martha Stewart yep. in episode two of our show. Uh, the first domino fell, however, when Ivan Boski, a famous arbitrage trader, was indicted on insider trading charges related to his investment on mergers. Uh, he ended up. He got like two hundred million dollars, two hundred million dollars off betting on mergers in the nineteen eighties because all these mergers were going on. So it, it was seen as like a oh he just like he's got a very good sense of things. But now nah, he was he was insider trading a bunch. This kind of insider trading was illegal, but was rarely enforced until Boski was arrested, and this was part of a big SEC crackdown on Wall Street corruption that happened in the eighties. 
Boski entered a plea deal to lessen his sentence, and part of his deal was that he provide information on any other crimes being committed in Wall Street. And who else did Boski finger, just like just like Milken did to those cheerleaders, than the junk bond king himself, Michael Milken. Milken had been investigated by the SEC before, uh, most likely because he was earning, obviously, ludicrous amounts of money. So everyone kind of thought that something was fishy because you can't just make this amount of money. Um, th- the thing was, we've already talked about, he was just making that amount of money, though. Like, the most of his dealings were legal. Damn, I wish my brain worked like that. So, but they were trying to get him the whole time because they were like, there's no way someone's making this amount of money. Well, I mean, that's fair, though. I I would also be like, what the fuck? And like I said, no one should make that amount of money. Mm-mm. So something was wrong. There wasn't enough regulation in practice because the market was so new to, like, cap people. And there is also um, anecdotal accounts of him, like, charging five times the the limit for, like, fees on transactions at the time. So he was doing stuff like that. But, like, the actual transactions, like, mm, they weren't necessarily illegal. Um, But they never moved past the investigation phase until Boski implicated Milken in several illegal activities, mostly related to insider trading, stock manipulation, and securities fraud. Uh, This led to an SEC probe of Drexel in 1986 headed by none other than Mask Singer contestant Rudy Giuliani, who at the time was the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. He was on the Masked Singer? You didn't see that, bro? Yeah. No. He was one of the the contestants on the Masked Singer. He was also almost fuck that girl in um, Borat, too. I know. We are living... In a dystopia, <laughs> what is really are. what is going on? But Rudolph Giuliani in the in the nineteen eighties was trying to hunt down Michael Milken, and for the next two years, uh, during which time Milken refused to even talk to to Drexel except through his lawyers. Wait, didn't he work for them? Yes, he he wouldn't even talk to them, his employer, with in, except for through his lawyers. He wouldn't talk to anyone in the company directly. For, for the two years that Giuliani's probe into the company was going on. That's okay. And during this time, Drexel denied all allegations, obviously. Uh, however, Giuliani controversially threatened the company with indictment under the RICO Act, uh, which we talked about in a previous episode. I couldn't hunt it down, but I know that I described the I was RICO say, Act. It's I the, know we talked about that. It's like the racketeering, uh, the racketeering and something of corporate organ uh, or of corrupt organizations i forget the yeah honor. and there was like one case that like made it happen yeah but it was made to take down mafia crime families where you can basically charge an entire enterprise of people it's a it's a way to bring multiple people to court that were all part of a corrupt organization it was a way to it was made basically to get um crime bosses in jail because they were hard because they never actually committed the crimes before right so this whole thing was created to get them but it's been applied to Michael Milken, the Major League Baseball under at one time. There's a few famous cases. Um, you know, maybe we talked about a McMillions because the Gambino crime. I think so. The Gambino crime family actually was a, a crime family that was taken down by the RICO Act. But Giuliani threatened Drexel with a RICO indictment. And it was basically a financial institution. It, they were seen as not being able to survive a RICO indictment. Like if you get a RICO indictment, you're fucking, you're, you're done, done as a company. Um, so obviously they started shitting their pants a little bit and they began plea bargain talks. 
However, the talks collapsed when Giuliani made several harsh demands, such as Milken needing to leave the firm if he was indicted. So basically, like, okay, you have to make Milken leave if we indict him, though. Like, you're indicted, and you might plead guilty, but if we indict him specifically, you got to make him leave. And they were like, okay, we think that's a little much, whatever, I don't know. Um, Giuliani did a, a few very questionable things, though, during the investigation, as it was laid out by Wall Street Journal reporter James B. Stewart, who wrote a book on this whole ordeal titled Den of Thieves, and who was actually— Wasn't the, that Aladdin in the Den of Thieves? Uh, it's a Bible quote, actually. Uh, they've oh, the King of Thieves. It's Aladdin and the King of Thieves. Yeah, but the Bible quote is like when you know when Jesus like storms the temple in mm-hmm. Jerusalem or whatever. He's like, yes. they've turned this temple into, into, a, den into a den of thieves. Yes, that, and then he flips the table. That's what it's from. Um, but according to Stewart, who was the subject of that C-SPAN interview, by the way, he was the one I heard talk for fifty-five minutes. He's got a very low, droning, boring voice, exactly like you'd expect of a reporter on financial crimes or just finances, even though that's what we do. Uh, he, uh, according to him, Giuliani was extremely zealous in his pursuit of these convictions, including having a government agent posing as a blackmailer to get a Drexel employee to run to the SEC to provide a plea deal. They basically threatened somebody nice. to be like, you better do this or we're going to we're gonna come you. after you. And he ran to the SEC to be like, I, okay, I want to talk. But it was just a government employee posing. Uh, I guess he also at one point threatened the SEC with if they didn't like come around on something that he was going to jump in with with Drexel and Milken and just dismiss all the charges. Giuliani said yeah, that. Yeah, Giuliani was like, "You better not do this, or else I'm I'm just going to dismiss dismiss everything," which is kind of an uncool thing to do. Yeah, that's it's threatening. So Giuliani, even at this point. Not a cool guy. Wow, he was, he's always, you know what, Rudy Giuliani, always been shitty. Yeah, and a terrible singer. Watch the Mass Singer episode, or don't actually, that show's fucking awful. Uh, I really do, like, when that show came out, I was like, I really do think the world might end, because, like, this is what, like, it can't be, we can't get anything dumber than this. Yep, it's awful. Uh, now, it was just after the plea deal fell through, though, that Drexel found suspicious activity in one of the partnerships that Milken had set up. Uh, with an entity called McPherson Partners. Uh, Milken was using this entity to sell stocks to himself and his associates alone, oftentimes in return for them buying a bond that Milken was trying to sell. So if a bond wasn't selling well... He would buy it. He would basically give it, give people an opportunity who bought the bond he was trying to sell an opportunity to invest in McPherson Partners, which is where you could make some like actual money. Okay. So it, it, he basically used it as a bribe. So like, okay, you you buy this um, preferred stock that I'm trying to sell that's that I can't move very well. You buy some of this, and I'll give you a stake in, Mc, in McPherson Partners, which is where we have, like, the good stock. But he was only giving certain people those opportunities. So he's breaking—he was a fiduciary, and a lot of the people who invested in McPherson's Partners— uh, partners was a fiduciary, which means that they they have, were fiduciaries. All yeah, right, they they have to act in the best interest of financial interests of their clients legally. Okay, so they were kind of breaking their their fiduciary uh, laws here. Um, How douchey of them! I know, right? Uh, secondly, he was using this company to buy bonds from himself and still reap. The commission. Uh, Drexel would sell bonds to McPherson Partners, who would then sell to companies owned by Milken and his associates. Uh, Milken would get the bond 
and keep the commission he made from being the underwriter on the bonds. So he gets these bonds, he sells them to somebody, he gets a commission on it, like a 3 5% commission. So now he's selling them to himself, getting the bond and getting all of the the money associated with the interest from that bond and also keeping the commission fee on selling it to himself, which is a conflict of interest and illegal, obviously. Okay. You seem very confused. I like have no idea what's going on. This is like hurting my brain. Imagine you are a shoe salesman. Okay. All right. And, I got these shoes. And you work on commission. Okay. Every pair of shoes you sell, you get 10%. Yes. So you sell a fifty pair, fifty dollar pair of shoes, you get five bucks. Yep. Now, let's say you also wanted shoes. Ah, so I so buy my you, own shoes. So you sell your shoes to yourself, and get you keep the shoes, and you get to sell them later for like a better price than what you bought them for, and you also I got get them the five dollar commission. So that's what he was doing, but with securities with bonds. Okay, and that makes a lot more sense. And if the shoes cost like fifty million dollars instead. There are some nice ass shoes, dude. So it, it, the only difference is that shoes obviously aren't an investment. You don't, you don't just get money back from shoes. You wear them and throw them away. But with a bond, you get, you also get money back. So you make money from just owning the bond, and now you're making double the money by also getting by the commission selling from selling it. it to yourself. And then you sell it again for a higher price. Yeah, got it. And okay. then, and then you offer people who you know buy certain stocks from you, you know, a piece of the action, basically. As a bribe. So that's what he's doing. And Drexel found this with their own internal investigation. And after discovering this, uh, Drexel pled guilty to six charges of stock parking and stock manipulation and agreed to having Milken leave if he was ever indicted. So just by the way, stock parking is just basically just know it's a way to obscure the real owner of a stock for multiple reasons. You basically... You sell it to someone under the like agreement that they'll sell it back to you in a short amount of time just so it looks like you don't have it for a little bit. Okay. So, uh, Milken also supposedly broke a lot of SEC regulations when it comes to leveraged buyouts as well because I guess there's a lot of regulations on... So, you have to submit a bid for a buyout. There's like time frames on when you have to submit stuff to the SEC about the bid you're going to purchase for a buyout and about like... Because in a hostile takeover, you basically go on and you buy a bunch of shares until you have a majority stake and then say, I own the company now. So if you buy a certain amount of shares, you have to report it to the SEC. And it turns out that that is 5% equity in a company. If you buy 5% equity in a company, you have to report it to the SEC. It has to be public knowledge. Okay. So he got a bunch of people to buy 4.9% of the company until they all had a majority stake and then use that to take over the company. Okay. I mean, okay, that makes sense. Which he's purposely obscuring who's owning stock in this company. Well, it's like when people go to deposit lar- large amounts of money and it's um, they make sure it's under $10,000 so that yeah. it doesn't get reported to the IRS. Like all your transactions are just under $10,000, yes. so nothing ever has to be reported. It's just like that. He's purposely obscuring who's owning this stock in order to take over companies, which is against SEC regulations and the law. Uh In 1989, with his former company now against him, a grand jury indicted Milken on 98 counts of racketeering and fraud. 98. Uh, That might be one of the highest that we've... It's a lot. It it is a lot. That's a lot. Um, Now, that being said, obviously, he did not get... He didn't get convicted for all of them. Right, but um, but still. But they did accuse him of stock parking, insider trading, tax evasion, and more. But wait, there's more. 
Uh, with the evidence mounting against him, Milken pleaded guilty to six charges in 1990, uh, three of them resulting from his dealings with Boski, where he concealed stock ownerships during takeovers and filed falsified documents with the SEC. And the other two were uh, tax evasion related. He like didn't report that he like made a transaction clearly and didn't pay taxes on it. Um, along with this plea deal, Milken agreed to pay $200 million in fines and $400 million to the SEC to settle lawsuits from investors. He also agreed to a lifetime ban from securities trading. Oh, wow. So it's a six, at the end of the day, it was a $600 million fine and a lifetime ban from securities trading, which is high, especially because I told you that those six counts that he was um, convicted of, his total gain from that was $315,000. Now, he was charged with 98, obviously. Indicted on 98, only pled guilty to six. And he actually, he had a plea deal going where he was only going to plead guilty to two. And either due to his hubris or... Due to, uh-huh. eh, uh, Due to his hubris or just like a clerical error, he missed the filing deadline to file the plea agreement for only two counts. And when he missed it, the prosecution was like, yeah, no, you're, you missed your time. We're not going to do that deal anymore. So he had to settle for a worse deal. Oh man. So he almost got off. I mean, like, listen, he deserves like everything he got, but that's a, that's a, you fucked up, dude. Also $600 million is still, I, that's a lot of money. But honestly, it's a slap on the wrist for the amount of money that he did make. Well, right. Because at this point... How he, many years had he, he been doing He at that? least made like $1.2 billion, I think, were the lower estimates. Now, everything was private, right. so we don't have actual numbers, but at least $1.2 billion. So it's maybe like half of his money, which when you have that much money, it's a lot of money, but it's still only half your money. Like $600 million, you can still do a lot with $600 million, all right? Um Never have a, yeah, yeah, I've never had $600 million. I know I can do a lot. You never will. And Um, and you know, I've, I can do a lot with $600. You do a lot for $600. Honestly. Oh my God. Uh, So Milken was sentenced to 10 years in prison, but was released after only 22 months. What? Due to good behavior and the fact that he contracted prostate cancer. Damn. So he got prostate cancer in prison. He was diagnosed in prison. So that was part of the reason they let him go early is because he needed medical attention for his prostate cancer. Um, he did beat he did beat his his battle with cancer. He did go into remission, and he's still alive to this day. Um, but it was said that uh, Milken and his wife screamed and sobbed in the hallway after the sentence was handed down. Like, I guess they went into a side hallway, and everyone in there kind of heard him go like, Ah, like a blood curdling scream. Like it was a, it was a very interesting, weird reaction that they brought up multiple times when they talked to uh, Mister Stewart, the writer of Den of Thieves. I don't feel bad for him. No, uh, he was also he also won the first Ig Nobel uh, Economics Prize, which is a satirical award for the stupidest discoveries uh, made in science and fine hits. Why did he win that? It was for the discovery of the junk bond. Oh, okay. Which. People have criticized for because junk bonds were a thing before him. Yeah. He just popularized them and kind of created the market as it is today. But mm-hmm. he didn't invent the junk bond. Like high high yield or low grade bonds existed before Michael Milken came along. Oh, And yeah. sometimes did make people money in the past. Uh, just made him the most money out of all of them. Michael Milken went from the biggest thing on Wall Street to prison to cancer to disgraced free man. And this is usually... 
where the story ends on our podcast. But today, it, it takes a weird turn. We, we talked about second chances and forgiveness in the intro, but why would this man deserve them? Because he had cancer, Kashan. Uh, I guess so. Well, since his release, uh, Michael Milken has rehabbed his character incredibly, founding the Prostate Cancer Foundation, where he donates himself and secures hundreds of millions of dollars for cancer research. Does he pull the money out? Does he actually give it to cancer? Uh, this is another scam. Yes. I mean, we here's the thing. I don't know. I, I think it's a not-for-profit, but not-for-profits still pay people. Right. And he still has a very high um, net worth. He has a lot of money. So, obviously, he's making money from... Something. Some, something somewhere, and he can't su- trade security. So, it's not that. Except for he did actually agree to pay $47 million without admitting fault to the Securities and Exchange Commission for violating his lifetime ban. Uh, I guess he was um, he was accused of being a financial consultant uh-huh. to a few companies, which he's not supposed to do. And he never admitted it. And, you know, they never, like, pursued charges. But he agreed to a settlement with the SEC for $47 million. So he's probably still doing some of that on the side and getting kickbacks from, like, consulting on, on stuff. Um, and also maybe his, his ch- quote-unquote, charity is giving him money. But that being said, his charity does give a lot of money to cancer research as well. So it's that's not fake, but... Uh, he also started two charitable think tanks, uh, Faster Cures and the Milken Institute. The latter uh, he created with his brother, and the former is a foundation that funds research for all forms of serious disease. Um, he also co-wrote a vegan cookbook. Oh, we need more of those. He, leaves, he lives a vegan lifestyle, and he has had the same partner, his wife Lori, since high school. Uh, okay, she's been his longest partner. I don't believe she was his only partner. I don't know. They got married soon after high school. They've been together ever since. So I don't you know. You know he was banging bitches over that office desk. Oh, he had a stripper in his house. That doesn't mean or he's, in his office. That doesn't mean he's banging women. Don't demonize strippers. I'm not demonizing strippers. You kind of are. Strippers don't just sleep with everyone. That's not what I meant. I'm just saying. Oh, so anyone who looks as a stri- at a stripper cheats on his wife? Is that what you're saying? Oh, God. Depending on who you ask, yes. But Th- That is not true. Well, <laughs> I don't agree with that statement either. I'm just saying the man worked in Wall Street in the 1980s. I don't believe that he was faithful to his wife. He also had horse teeth, though. Maybe it's a good contraceptive. Oh, man. Actually true. Hmm? All of his philanthropy supposedly is the reason that President Donald Trump, and you know where this is going, granted Milken a full pardon during his last days in office. Okay, but, like, why did he need pardoned? He was already out. Well, to this day, it is even hotly debated whether Milken actually committed any crimes. Uh, This might be because he launched a publicity campaign when he was first indicted, spending $3 million a month to help portray him in a positive light. So maybe through philanthropy and money, Milken rehabbed his image, not with charitable acts necessarily, but with the good old American dollar. And to this day, it is estimated that Michael Milken is worth $3.8 billion and is 606th on Forbes' richest people's list. Ha, what a what a loser. He's not in the 500. I know, right? <laughs> he only has $3.8 billion. What a, a fucking, loser. what an absolute chump of a man. Am I, I right? know, yeah. I bet this man cheats on his wife after looking at strippers all day. I bet he does. <laughs> Mm, after doing a, a large amount of blow. At least it's not at a Cracker Barrel. Hey, you know what? Get it where you can. 
Baby, lock the door and put Don't them yuck. large checkers away. Don't yuck my yum. I'm about to get, get in into the rocking chair. Peg game. And by peg game, I mean you pegging me. I would love to peg someone. We've weirdly enough, we've had this conversation. Uh, Listen, it's power thing. Great. I want the power. Ooh. Uh, so, do people deserve a second chance? No. I, once again, quick, I would like to think so. But in the case of Michael Milken, did he ever truly deserve the second chance that he has been afforded? His contributions to medical research surely do go a long way to absolving him. He is seen as an innovator in the financial sphere to this day for his creation of the junk bond market. But we have covered enough greedy people here on the podcast to know that this is still another person who thinks they can cover their greed with more money. Just strategically placed money to make you look better. Milken stole in a complicated and covert manner. And who knows how much of his accrued wealth was attained by shady business practices. He gets his second chance. But what about everyone in this justice system who doesn't get the second chance to rehab their image? The person who was arrested on drug charges, who has a problem, an addiction, that now can't find a job because of their felonious background. They can't just throw money at the problem like Milken can. And that is why we do this show. Here's the other thing, too. Like, I think it's great that he's donated all this money to cancer research. I think that, like, you know, I think that that's really, um, we can applaud him on that. But donating that money to save your image versus donating that money because like, you know, it's the right thing to do are two very different things. Now, granted he did have cancer. And so it's a cause that is sadly near and dear to his heart, but it's just like, come on. Like, I don't know. Yeah. It's just, I don't know in the context of everything. It's just, it's hard Mm -hmm. because he did break a lot of laws and he did it brazenly and supposedly everyone who was with him just kind of said, like, he he viewed securities laws as a hamper on the free market. So he kind of just, like, he, he he played in the gray a lot instead of just dealing in black and white. But, but still, I mean, you, like, the securities rules are there for a reason. Right. And it's because people have exploited it in the past. And he's not, he, I think he thought he was bigger than that. And these people need to realize they're not. Right. So, yes, he's given a lot of money to research for a very important cause that he has dealt with. And so some of that I'm I'm I said, I mean it is it is noble in a way. And he does deserve some praise for it. Yeah. Um but does he completely deserve the second chance? That that's kind of hard to say. Right. You know. Cuz he still does. I mean, he pled guilty, but he doesn't. He basically just, just tries to focus on like, well, I'm a good man now instead of being like, yeah, I did that. He doesn't own it a lot, so it is what it is. But lame. But thank you all <laughs> for listening uh, all this way to the somber, the somber end. This is a somber one. Um, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed uh, this episode on Michael Milken, the junk bond king. Uh, brought up to me actually more than a year ago by a coworker. Oh, who who brought this up and and I was like, yeah, we should think about that one day. And it took all the way till season six. But Pete. This one's for you. This one's for you. Um, 
So if you liked the, this week's episode, just like Pete hopefully did, uh, you can support us by leaving a review. Uh, if you listen on iTunes, which most of you are, uh, just go hit the five stars, write us a nice review, um, and let other people know that you enjoy our content. Uh, if you're not on Apple Podcasts, you can uh, subscribe, you can share uh, whatever's allowed you on, tell on your, your podcatcher. Yeah, tell tell your friends. That's the best way to do it, honestly, is just to uh, spread it by word of mouth. Tell your friends, you know, oh, man, like you owe me $100. You need to learn about the, the price of, of money and and uh, and its consequences over at White Collars Red Hands. The dollar. Go listen to the Michael Milken episode of White Collars Red Hands and then bring me my $100 after you do. Uh, For my apple. Exactly. Uh <laughs> The metaphor stuck. The metaphor stuck. It did. Uh, (laughs) uh, That's all a way to support us for free. If you want to give us just money, that also helps us and supports what we do here. And you can do that through merch. You get something back, too. You're not just giving mm-hmm. us money for free. You get a shirt. Well, you can do that, sweatshirt. Too. Yeah, you can do that, too. And you know, ask, message us. Ask for a Venmo. WhiteCollarsRedHands at gmail.com. We'll give it to you. Um but you go there, buy something. It's on our website, whitecollarsredhands.com. There's a little button that says, uh, check out our merch. You click that, it'll take you to our store page. And, and it's also in the show description if you want. Um, by the way, that email isn't just used to ask for our Venmo. You can also send us suggestions there. Uh, we love doing fan-submitted episodes. And uh, we're going to be deciding Season 7 uh, pretty soon because we're coming up in the end of Season 6 pretty quickly. I know. Crazy. And uh, so now's the perfect time to send over your suggestions for that. Um, also to plug for those of you who have stuck around and like listening to my voice this much for some fucking reason. I mean, uh, props to you. It lulls me to sleep. Kishan. Oh, thank you. Uh, but if you want to listen to my voice a little bit more, you've run out of these episodes. There's not, there's no more to listen to here. You can go over to my second show, higher education, uh, where me and my friend Caleb blaze up and, uh, we get taught a different subject. It's a little bit shorter than these, uh, and a little bit more, just kind of fun. Goofy. Yeah, a little bit more goofy, but you can go check that out if that sounds interesting to you, higher education. Um, and yeah, I think that's all I got. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week on another episode of White Collars, Red, Red Hands. Hands.